everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bogger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me as per usual is my co-host and associate editor, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Um, I don't think I've ranted yet on the show about how much I hate uh, turning the clocks back. Because, like, A, it's the worst. Mm-hmm. And B, uh, because the time has changed, like, it's really dark on my bedroom floor right now. Because we're recording this kind of late in the day today. And I'm like, I gotta I gotta get some lamps or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, um, I, I am not a fan of uh, daylight standard time. If I am one of those people who thoroughly believes that we should just move to stay oh, 100%. I just uh, sorry to the children that have to wait for the school bus in the dark or whatever. Y'all have got cell phones. <laughs> they yeah. have flashlights. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, How early do kids even go to school today? I, 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 um, I don't know. I used to go at like seven o'clock in the morning when I was, but that was back I feel in the like 90s, I did too, but I, that's also because I had to like wait for the bus at like the end of my dirt road so I had to get out there like really early because if I hadn't made it to the end of the dirt road by the time the bus came they would like leave me no I grew up on a dirt road y'all I don't know if I've said that on the show before <laughs> um I-, I did not grow up on a dirt road but the bus would actually leave you too yes um yeah, I mean, the bus did not come <laughs> near my house at all I had to like go to the bus it's very Muhammad in the mountain situation <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about today other than the fact that it is dark out and it's not even fair? I know. It's really not. And it's like making me yawn. And uh, I don't know. All right. What we're talking about today is uh, something that I think I'm going to probably take a backseat on because Annie has been agitating for us to cover this for the better part of a year. So we're going to talk about Amazon's new adaptation of The Wheel of Time today. And as some of you eagle-eared listeners may realize, this is not a British show. Uh, it is not based on a British book. I think several of the actors might be British. Or maybe just the one. I don't know. No, no, no. Um, some of some of them are um, uh, Rosamund Pike. Anyway, the, yeah. anyway, this is hardly... Li- this is not normally in our wheelhouse, yeah. but... Uh, I have to let her win sometimes, so we're talking about it. Well, honestly, um, if if North and South is sort of, you know, last week you said North and South is like the thing you wanted to go back to as an adult and sort of make sure it's still, it, it still, you know, rocked as much as you thought it did. Oh, let's not pretend I was young enough that I wasn't an adult when it came out. <laughs> Um, well, I was a kid when The Wheel of Time initially came out. Um, I actually started reading it back in 1990 when the first book, The Eye of the World, came out. Um, it's been one of the most form, form, uh, you know, books that mattered to me as a kid. Like, it really did, like, it was formative on so many levels. Um, and it sort of cemented my love of fantasy, um, and sort of it, it 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 helped mold me into the person I am today. It made the reason I picked up a Game of Thrones in 1996 is because the author Robert Jordan on the back of had like a little blurb saying you should read this book, and so I did. Um, which you know you know decades later led me to write about Game of Thrones on a blog, which led to me becoming a writer. Um, so you know this is this is definitely like this is one of my er fandoms coming to television for the first time um and it i 
I love the new series. I'm I'm not even going to lie. Like, I, I can see that there are issues with it, and I can understand why people are kind of looking at it going, eh. But I absolutely love this as an adaptation of the books. Um, for those who have not read them, it is a very simple story. Um, you know, five kids from a, from a small town called the in Edmonds Field called the Two Rivers are taken away by a mysterious stranger told that they have destinies to follow. Um, and she believe the the woman who takes them away, her name is Moraine. Uh, she is an AS, she's an uh, Aes Sedai, um, and uh, which is basically sort of like a witch, but not quite. Um, if you remember the small science in uh, Shadow and Bone, that's kind of uh, that that's kind of a ripoff of what the uh, of what the I said I do. They're basically like they, they, they can manipulate like matter and molecules at, a, at like a molecular level, basically. It's all magic. Just go with it. Any science you can't explain is magic. So it's magic. Um, and. Only women can manipulate um, this magic because there, there, there's two, there's two halves of this magic. There's the male half and the female half, and the male half has been tainted by the dark one. Yes, really, totally, the dark one. Um, and the dark one basically like made it so that if any any man who touches it goes mad. So there are no male witches in the world, and. Uh, Moraine basically believes that one of these young men or maybe one of the two women is a man reborn who was the dragon who basically defeated the Dark One the first time. And it's, you know, it's it's basically this chosen one narrative of, you know, the sort of standard thing that you expect. Um, it's also it, it, that's a very simple plot for a book for a series that wound up being 14 books of which most of are like nearly a thousand pages each um it is and the thing is is that it's not even a series of books that's that's concerned with plot momentum Robert Jordan was really, really into world building. And so he devotes chapters upon chapters upon chapters to basically like building out his little subcultures and all of their little quirks and all of his different peoples and taking like all of the mythologies of the world from both Eastern and Western tradition and sort of melding them together into one thing. And yeah. There, I, I, I have. I used to tell everybody to read the books when I was younger. Nowadays, I would not because from about mid book four to about mid book ten, nothing happens. I mean, about a about a. That's not totally true. About a novel's worth of plot beats happen in about six thousand pages. Um, so it is sort of the ultimate unfilmable fantasy franchise. Is the point. And like much more so than Game of Thrones. Um, and I think that the show, you know, I came into the show very, very nervous because I knew that it wasn't easy. It's not if they tried to do like a point by point, like blow by blow adaptation of the books, it would fail. Like that's that that's a fool's errand. But I found um, the first three episodes are now up on Amazon and um, I was pleasantly surprised at how well they have basically taken the series the points of the series and turned them into an actual fantasy series where a plot moves along um 
for the record, I have not read these books. I would not recommend it. Um, I don't know that I won't read these books because I am, you know, very into reading books that are a thousand pages long for some stupid reason. Grad school, probably. But uh, I have not read these books. So I do not have this sort of uber connection with the material. I'd, I'd heard of it before. And it's one of those things where... I read a lot of other, I read or have read a lot of other fantasies. So I've sort of heard of it in connection to sort of the larger conversation about like fantasy as a genre over the past several decades, blah, blah, blah. Also all the drama about the fact that this dude died before he ever finished the series and some other author had to be brought in to finish it. Um, yeah, Brandon, uh, basically Robert Jordan got very ill about mid, um, about you know, some time in the mid aughts, somewhere around book nine. And um, Brandon Sanderson was brought in to finish the series. Um, and he wrote the last few books um, based on the notes that Jordan had left. Um, the thing is, is that you can't be in fantasy and not have heard of The Wheel of Time because it really was one of those game changing books. Like there, in fantasy, uh, like I did, a, I did an interview with the showrunner, and he framed it in a way that made a lot of sense to me. He said that he saw this series, The Wheel of Time, as the pillar that stands between Tolkien and George R. R. Martin, and that made a lot of sense to me because I can sort of see that. I mean, I yeah. can see the through line between those series now knowing what I do about the TV series. Yeah. Um, if you sort of think of fantasy as they're sort of before Lord of the Rings and after Lord of the Rings, they're sort of before Dune and after Dune. There's very much before Wheel of Time and after Wheel of Time. After Wheel of Time, like it became a really big thing to do these kind of doorstopper novels that are continent spanning chosen one narratives. Well, the chosen one narratives aren't new i will say i will say the reason that this the reason i i guess i should say before i get too far into this that i actually liked um the amazon series quite a bit despite not being super familiar with the books uh i think part of that is because i do read a lot of fantasy and this ticks all the boxes of every kind of fantasy trope there is it's a chosen one story it's a, a literally like sauron with a different name I mean, it's all like it's it's very much like we tick all the boxes of like this is what a fantasy story is supposed to be and do. So in that way, it will feel very familiar. Um, I think the big uh, difference for me and I'm sorry I keep name dropping that I talked to the showrunner. It was like one interview for 10 minutes. He's nice. <laughs> but um, he said that one of the things that spoke to him about it and and I just kept agreeing with him because I was like, this is so smart because I did read The Lord of the Rings as a kid and I loved The Lord of the Rings and I love Tolkien. But as a woman who reads fantasy, Tolkien can sometimes be a little difficult because there's Aowen and that's it. Like you can find Arwen and some other tertiary female characters like in the in the appendices. You know, in the appendices in may the silmarillion maybe but like there's just it's just not there and this feels like a very important step but i'm paraphrasing the uh rape judkins answer to me but he was like this is you know this is like the step that's after like eowyn because now there's there's actual women it's a female fo- it's women that get to it's more than one token woman and the women get to do very different things and have very different roles and they don't have to be all things to all people 
Yeah. Um, basically, this was the first fantasy series I ever found that centered women and had women point of view characters that went on for chapters and had women as extremely important characters that did things. Um, now, the books still are, you know, written by a man and the 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 women's point of view is still, you know, filtered through what men think women think. Um, which is actually one of the major benefits of the TV show is that it really, you know, it'll where where there are a lot of stereotypes to sort of build the women characters in the books. Um, they're much more 3D. They're much more well thought out in in on the TV show because, you know, it's women actors who are really like bringing their own experiences to this. Um, the other thing that I really genuinely love about this series is the diversity. Um, the TV series, you mean, not the book series, because I'm told that is quite a significant shift. Yes. Um, <laughs> so the thing about the books is that um, Robert Jordan, basically, he, he pulled this. I, I think of this now as the, 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 uh, the Hermione thing, where uh, it was noticed that in the Harry Potter books, Hermione was never actually, no one actually ever says she's white because the default whiteness by the author was so, so intrinsic that she simply never thought to mention it. And so now in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, they cast a black woman to play her because there's no reason why you shouldn't. And basically that's what this production did because the whiteness was so like, it, they, they, they just assumed whiteness so thoroughly. Most of the characters don't actually ever have their skin tones mentioned. It's never said whether or not they're white. So the TV show takes it as, well, if it doesn't say they're white, then they must not be. They, 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 they assume not. It's, it's really great. And it makes, a, it makes a really genuinely diverse fantasy world that's on par with Bridgerton and is still, you know, still far too rare in prestige TV shows and fantasy TV shows today. And honestly, like, I one of the things about Wheel of Time that I think is so important is that this show really it, it's like a step forward almost from the Game of Thrones. You know, the thing about Game of Thrones is that it, it was so it was so driven to be like faithful to the books that they literally recreated an entire continent full of white people. Like literally there were no black people on an entire continent of I mean, that's, you know ridiculous when you think about it and this is this is not that this is no of course we of course the world is diverse because that's what the world is and i i really genuinely love that about this series um um i i i am curious um because the thing is i know all these characters extremely well and um i have a lot of thoughts about how they've changed it I want your. I, I kind of want your impressions of the characters. Um, hold on. As I'm talking, this is a little play along of the glamour of doing this sort of production ho at home system for you. I'm in the middle of having a foot cramp while we talk, so I'm <laughs> trying to like stretch my foot out and still reach my mic. So, um, this is real people doing real journalism for you guys. <laughs> okay, um, I would say that. I don't think I had a hard time. I, I've seen some early reviews of it being like, all of these characters are bland and interchangeable. And I don't think that's true. I do think, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I keep going back to the well of, I read a lot of fantasy, but I read a lot of fantasy. So like the tropes of who these characters are is like very apparent, I think, uh, which maybe is what helps me sort of distinguish them one from each other. Uh, I feel like... I, let me see. 
Pick what? Pick one, and I'll start with one. Okay. I mean, I feel like I already guessed which one is the dragon. Like, I know they haven't said that in the show yet, but I feel like I know. Um, I actually find it very interesting because in the books, it's it's there. Th- okay, so there's three guys and two girls that are taken from from this small town, and Moraine basically says one of you is the dragon, and I just she doesn't, but she's not sure which one. In the books, it, the girls are never even considered for the dragon. They simply are coming along because both of them have the ability to be an Aes Sedai the same way Moraine does, and they're bus- and they're literally coming along because she's going to the White Tower. See, I would say that I think the show doesn't make that part clear. Okay. I think the show. I think the show makes it. I think the show makes it seem like Egwene or um, Nineveh. Nine- How do you even say her name? Nynaeve. Nynaeve. Okay. I always say Nineveh because it sounds like King Arthur to me. Um, like I like to me the the show wants you to think that any of the girls could also be the dragon. Like that, and I don't think that. Uh, this is a slight spoiler alert because. Or maybe this is in the third episode. It's a, this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler alert, but there is a hint coming up in one of the episodes that one of the women can channel, aka use magic. And like that is played as sort of like a surprise. You know, not like they're taking the hobbits to Isengard for this other thing. They're But they're taking them because any of them could be this prophesied being. And the other stuff is like a afterthought. Yeah, no, with in the books, it's Rand, Matt, and Perrin are the three boys, and they're coming along because one of them could be the dragon. Egwene is going because Moraine recognizes immediately that she has the ability within her, and she's like, come with me and you will train with me, and she decides to literally leave her family and follow Moraine to go to the, the White Tower, which is where they train, um... And, and become an Aes Sedai. Uh, Nynaeve is the village wisdom. Um, and the thing is, Moraine knows she can channel in the books. And it's made very obvious to us that she can. But the TV show and from her own point of view, Nynaeve does not know she can. And the TV show has played that down a lot. Because I'm pretty sure the TV show wants it to kind of be a surprise to us. Even though... As far as it is obvious to me, because I sort of know the, 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 the story, like you can see the places where she does, even though she doesn't know she's doing it. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, and actually, what I thought was very interesting about the show also is that the books make it very obvious very quickly which of the boys is the dragon. I mean, I think anybody that's really watched a lot of this stuff is going to be able to guess pretty quick. I don't think Mm -hmm. they're doing a lot to hide it. They're just not saying it straight out. Like, I haven't read the books and I am like 100% sure that I know who it is. Oh, yeah. Um, But the thing is, is that there are so many more hints in the books that basically make it so it's obvious. And they've taken all of that out, which I find to be fascinating. Um, I actually assumed that there would be more of it, that they would hint at it. And they don't. They actually like wholesale remove it, which I think is really interesting because the thing is, is that you then because that character has had that sort of removed he's the least interesting of the three because oh, the other two are true. the other two are sort of allowed to have their magic start um uh, perrin has wolves following him everywhere um which uh basically like if, if my, my favorite my favorite way to describe perrin to people is he's all of the starks all of them in one person um because he's he he has all that wolf brother stuff going on um and then matt has this dagger that he's picked up in this evil place and there's something kind of wrong with him and we don't know what um oh see i like rand 
Like, I like- think he's just nice. He just likes herding his sheep and he <laughs> loves Egwene and he's just like a nice boy. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's, I think, I, and maybe that's just me reacting, I, which is actually, this is interesting and I'm clearly as I talk thinking this out in my head, but I always get defensive about female characters that are, um, it's like the Sansa Stark, Arya Stark dichotomy. I get really defensive of characters like Sansa who are very traditional and, and quiet and just nice, kind, decent people. And they're presented often, or at least received in fandom, as like that somehow makes them less since less than especially like the member of their family or party or cohort that is like wielding a magical sword or whatever. Like, <laughs> so I think that this is for me. I think I've I've sort of taught myself to be very in the corner of characters like that because I think just because he doesn't have a magic dagger, it doesn't make him boring. Well, also, um, and actually, I this is this is something that I'm very I'm amazed that you think of him as a nice boy because one of the things about him in the books is that he's actually very pushy and he's actually kind of a little bit of a, a he's not quite an MRA guy but he's very much like oh, I don't get that in the show at all you don't get that at, that's a, that's you know that's amazing I think this is a really good example and I wish I could remember whose review I was reading the other day that said this I think it's a really <laughs> I'm going to look it up and put it in the show notes when I find out whose review this is, because it wasn't a very flattering review, but it had this one hilarious line in it that said that the show is like Disneyland. And basically, you bring your own experiences to it because you have read the books. Therefore, you are looking for all these signposts and things and familiar stuff like you don't care that there's some random girl in the Cinderella dress. You're just psyched to see Cinderella. Like, so it's very like. You're looking for the things that are in the books because you know they're there and that's impacting like how you feel about the version on the screen, which is I I don't get that from that character at all. He just seems like I love my sheep. No, he, 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 yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not arguing with you. I think that's really interesting. And I think you're not wrong. Um, I also think that one of the things about it is that I also know where everything's been changed. And mm. so one of the things about it is that, as I said, these are kids who are taken away from their hometown. Um, Nynaeve is 25 in the books and she's 25 in the show. And that is actually established. All the other ones are aged up somewhat. Like there's supposed to be like 16, 17 in the books. Well, I mean, they did that on Game of Thrones too. Sansa's technically for, I mean, I will bring Sansa into any conversation but in the book she's 14 oh no 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 the thing is though when game of thrones aged up like you know rob stark and Jon snow and all that they still made them like emotionally 14 like they weren't married they didn't get perrin is married i was like perrin has an entire wife where did this come from i i i'm gonna put a pin in that disagreement about the rob stark being emotionally 14 i think that's not true okay but but, but he didn't a 20-year-old Rob Stark would have been married off by then, and they didn't. And whereas here, he they actually thought about, well, if we aged them up, what would have actually have happened to them? Perrin would have settled down and gotten and started the forge and gotten married. You know, Matt would be I'm much mad. more aware. I did aware. like his wife for the 30 seconds she was on screen. I was really mad. I was like, you gave him an entire wife to have him kill her? Damn. And he's just rude. I don't know. She just seemed like a cool chick. Like, the thing is, is that, like, especially because th- this has such great women characters, having a woman who's literally there to be fridged to give Perrin, like, his personality that he already has in the books was, like, really annoying. 
Um, Because Perrin is supposed to be this, he's supposed to be like the biggest guy in town. He's kind of the gentle giant. He's always very afraid of like hurting people. Yeah, I just assumed it was one of those things, you know, how in stories like this, they always have to kill off a tertiary person that's connected to one of the main people. So you understand that the threat is real from the fake orcs. Yeah, no, that's totally why she was created and what she's there for. But she also now gives him a reason to have his personality of being very careful and cautious and worried. And when and, and when Perrin finds his love interest down the line, he um when Perrin finds his love interest down the line, he's going to, you know, in, in the books, he he's not sure he really wants to get in a relationship because he's a chosen one and he's not sure if it's a good idea for someone to be with him. And now he has a real reason for that, which is that he killed his wife and he's massively guilty and he doesn't Well, deserve. I mean, that makes a lot more sense than dumb chosen one folks. Right? No, like, actually, like, I was like, way to improve him, even if you fridged a woman to do it. Um, I also... The other thing that I, I, I love about this adaptation is how many more Aes Sedai we've met in just three episodes. One of the things about the books, because they move ludicrously slow, and I am not kidding about ludicrously slow, um, the only Aes Sedai you meet, the only actual Aes Sedai you meet for like pages and pages and pages and chapters and chapters and chapters is Moraine. Like she's the only one and she's kind of a cipher to the kids because she doesn't want to sort of let them know what she's doing or what because she's very secretive and she's sort of she she's also very worried that they won't understand what she's doing or that they might rebel or run away if they know what this horrible thing that she's basically like she basically she's trying to prepare them for the unpreparable of facing evil. Right. And so she's sort of like for the first book or two, like she has no personality because she's very, you know, closed off from them. and. I love the fact that, A, we get all of her personality from the get-go, and B, we get other Aes Sedai from the beginning. We get Lindrin, who is uh, the he- who is, she's a red Aes Sedai. Um, we, we see Alana um, at the very end of episode three, who is a green Aes Sedai. I actually do, one thing I do wish that, um, one thing I did have to look up. Is the colors? The colors. Because this yeah, show they, does they, not, the show just, like, basically pretends, like, they have they just like that color outfit. Nope. And there's whole like there's this whole hierarchy of what the colors that they choose to like the colors are in order and the order is a specific kind of Aes Sedai and they do specific things. And the show does not tell you that. I had to wiki that. Yeah, I I actually think that that is one of the things they're saving to explain once they get to the White Tower and sort of like exposition all that. Well, if you've seen the trailers, there if you've seen the trailers, there's clearly like a big flashback episode coming up where they show you Maureen becoming an Aes Sedai. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming that's like in an episode that I haven't watched yet. Um, but I, I the thing is, is that like the the blue, yellow, green, and red are the four sort of like most important colors of the group. Um, Moraine is a blue. The Amerlin seat, who we'll meet eventually, was raised from the blue. Um, reds okay, are very. Wait. I'm, I'm stopping you because this is too detailed for where we are in the show. Okay, sorry. People are not gonna have any idea what you're talking about because I barely have any idea what you're talking about. I would talk about I would talk about Moraine though because I really do. I quite like Moraine. Um, I am a very I'm a sucker. I am a sucker for this kind of character. So it's not it's not out of the ordinary. Um, I also really love how they portray her relationship with Lon. I actually, re- I mean, and I, I'm sorry. Everything I do is framed by AO3 and fan fiction. And I realize that I'm not supposed to ship them nope. because that's not you how they're not like, that's not them. how like their relationship works. Nope. 
But Rosamund Pike and Daniel Henney have just this incredible chemistry. Like, I'd ship it a little bit. And I realize that's not what I'm supposed to be doing, but that was what fan fiction is for. So this week, my weekly call for fan fan fiction recommendations is if you know any of that pairing. I would like to read it. Okay. Um, So the thing... Okay, so... During the 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 junket I did, Rosamund Pike talked about how much she loves the relationship between her and Lon because there is no sexual component to it and how she has never really seen this kind of deep friendship and 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 deep emotional connection between a man and a woman really good. Like you can tell that they have really put in like a lot of time together like off screen like working on that because they do feel like they've known each other for forever yeah and the the idea is that the thing about warders which is what lan is basically Aes Sedai so they have this they're basically like witches who have this magical power right but they take these oaths they're basically the black cat to their witch I think is the not quite they're more (laughs) bodyguards so the thing is is that and Aes Sedai is not allowed to ever use her power as a weapon, except as an absolute last resort or against a dark friend. And she's not allowed to make weapons with her power. Those are two of the three oaths that the Aes Sedai take before they become, as when they, when they raise up to become an Aes Sedai from an accepted. And the other one is that they are to speak no word that is untrue, which is not to lie, which is very important. Um, but... Although so, anybody who has ever watched anything ever or who has ever told a lie in their personal <laughs> life knows that saying something that is not true and telling a lie are not the same thing as each other or as telling the truth. Yes. Um, so basically, like, because they can't defend themselves, they have taken up this practice of bonding warders and... Their warders are there basically to do all the fighting for them and to keep them safe if they are attacked by things. And one of my favorite things about those first three episodes is that first battle where they're fighting all the Trollocs and the Fades. Which are orcs. They're orcs. Yes, they're very much orcs. And uh, Fades are like the the Nazgul. Um, And basically they're fighting these people and the way that Moraine and Lan use... It is really beautiful. It is really beautifully filmed, I think, yes. too. Like whatever she did with her body coach or her movement coach is great. Um, she actually on our junket, she said that it was her decision to use her body to do magic. At first, she thought she wouldn't that like it would be all in her head and it would all be just sort of CGI. And as she went along, she realized that no, as, as a as a person, Moraine would use her body to move the magic around because that's the kind of person she is. I think it's so funny that Rosamund Pike uh, chose to do the show. I'm glad she did because I think she's great in it, but it's very against type for her. Yeah, and she said she never thought she would do fantasy in her life. And I'm, I, you know, I think actually that for is those part of, of you out there who are wondering who is Rosamund Pike, the lady from Gone Girl. Yeah. Oh, um, she she's. I, I honestly I feel like her performance could sustain this show alone. If all five kids were terrible, it would still be good because of her. Now all five kids are not terrible. They're actually really great. Like I actually love all of them. I I I love Barney Harris's Matt, even though he's going to get replaced next season for reasons we don't know. Um, Matt was very much like my crush at thirteen. Um, I love Marcus Rutherford as Perrin. I think he's exactly the kind of 
he so like embodies the character as I imagined him. And and Rand is hot. Rand is just hot. There's nothing <laughs> to be done about it. Um, That's okay. I, I, I love Zoe Robbins as Nynaeve. I just love her. Like, she was, that was such a character who was so formative to me as, like, a strong-willed woman who took no guff and did not give a crap and was perfectly happy to give it back. That's, as- so, that's so funny to me because I feel like, um, I feel like in the show, they, she's she's the one of the five that we've spent the least amount of time with. Yeah. So I don't get that vibe. I don't really get that vibe from her yet. I guess she's honestly just kind of bitchy, <laughs> which I mean, I don't, that doesn't bother me. I love Cersei Lannister and she chooses violence every day, but you know, I just, I think that's interesting. I think that's another example of, and I think, and I don't think that, and I don't say this to mean like, this is you doing this to the show. Cause you love the source material. I think this is what we all do to adaptations like we all bring our own sort of biases and and whatever the television version of confirmation bias is to the things that we watch. Like it's in, it's interesting though, because simply because I haven't read the books and I'm like, I guess she's okay because <laughs> I because I haven't you know we haven't spent as much time with her. I haven't gotten the chance to see her do or be all these things. She just seems kind of mean currently. Um, and actually in the books in the beginning she does also seem kind of mean. Um, it's it, that how strong she is and how like and a- and how much of a leader she is comes out later. And the same with Egwene. Like Egwene is kind of like shy and retiring in the first few. And I think also this is my own confirmation bias at work again. I know everybody tuned into this episode to watch me work out my feelings vis-a-vis female characters. <laughs> but I I dislike and I know this was a really big like dichotomy in this particular like era of fantasy being written that like women were allowed to be one of two things they were either allowed to be like shy and retiring or they were allowed to be bitchy and mean and those are like the two poles and that was it and there wasn't a lot of nuance and there wasn't a lot of of depth beyond like we know she is strong because she's sassy you know that kind of thing um i which i, which I hate if that wasn't clear um <laughs> I and and that's that that brings me back to the books and the fact that the books do actually still have that in them and that Egwene begins as shy they really do start with those stereotypes Egwene starts as the shy and retiring Nynaeve starts as the bitchy and then they get they they actually build into better people or or stronger people or or leaders really um from that whereas I feel like in the show you get more of you you get more depth to I would agree with that because one of the things I like about um and I and I as I understand that this is not how it happens in the books but like Egwene basically decides to dump Rand because she wants she makes the choice to become a wisdom. And I guess for whatever reason to be a wisdom cuz life sucks for women I guess like you can't have everything you can be a wisdom or you can have a man so she chooses like this different path because that's what she wants to do and she's given the agency to do that and it's very early on in the story where she is shown as being an active like not just an active participant in her own life but an active participant like in her own destiny although I think destiny is a bad word to use here because the show is like everyone has a destiny but you know what I mean yeah, no, that's uh, uh, and that also comes with the fact that they've aged her up and thinking about how she would be as a 20-year-old as opposed to a 16-year-old. In the uh, you know, she doesn't in the book she doesn't dump Rand because they're not actually together because they're still in puppy love. 
Um, and now that they're because they aged them up just enough. Well, no, of course, they'd be sleeping together. And of course, Rand would be thinking about, you know, about to be proposing to her and all that because they're they're older and that's how it works. Um, and that's what I, again, it's one of the things I really love about the way that they really thought through. They didn't just age them up. They thought through aging them up. And I, I, I find that fascinating. You know what else I what else I think is interesting about this show, especially because you keep coming back to like how ponderous the books are. Lord, um, uh, I think it's really interesting, and I'm going to be curious to see like how viewers respond to this. Like this is a very briskly paced show. Like there is not a lot of like side quests. There is not a lot of like extraneous conversation. There's not like sometimes to its detriment actually because. Um, this is not Game of Thrones, which is a show that very much spent a lot of time like telling you words and what they meant. This show does not do that. The first time I heard somebody say the word dark friend, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> because they had lit- like literally no one had mentioned it. And whoever says it says it like I'm supposed to know what it is. <laughs> Did not know what it was. So to, to some, in some ways, I think the sort of very like brisk pace is a little bit, I would maybe like to find a happy medium between like ponderous and as fast as this is moving. But I also respect it for like the early plot of this is like they got to get from point A to point B. So the story is them getting from point A to point B. I don't know. That was a lot of word vomit. Um. So, uh, some words that you probably didn't... Uh, did you even notice the word Tavran when they said it? Oh, um, yes, but I looked it up. Okay. Because, um, again, that's another, <laughs> that was actually the one that I was like, man, we did not even explain that word to anybody. Um, there's a whole, like, old tongue language that is part of this, like, mythos that this show sort of Which is High it. Valerian and which is Eld Alvish. So, yes. it's all the yes. same thing. It's all the same thing. Um, but it... it I I I I was very startled that they sort of tossed the word out and didn't explain it at all. Um and you're right they do they they the the whole the whole visit to Shadar Logoth they don't explain a lot of that either. Like they really do sort of rush through it. But at the same time there are moments where I the thing that got me the most about I mean like some of these- it I don't need them to hold my hand through like the faceless the faceless Nazgul thing or the orcs or whatever. Like I can follow context clues and be like, okay, know what that's about. But I mean, just some of the specific terminology would have been nice. Um, I, I was though really impressed in how much I felt that the show respected my intelligence and that it sort of just expected me to be able to follow along. One of the things about Game of Thrones that always drove me bats was that they cut a lot of you. You actually you 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 actually talked about this a little bit when we did our Game of Thrones retrospective episode. How much of the the history and backstory of the actual continent they cut? Justice for Dorne. And all of the, all of the, you know, all of the, and, and it's because part of the reason why they cut a lot of that stuff, they cut a lot of the exp- explanations of children of the forest and all that kind of thing, is because those stories are told by one character to a bunch of others while they're all on horseback on their way somewhere and, or they're all sitting around a fire <laughs> and, 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 and Game of Thrones is like, listen, we got 55 minutes a week. We just don't have the time to spend eight minutes on this, guys. I'm sorry. Right. We'll put it. We'll, trust me. We'll, we'll put the stories in like the extras and the DVDs. Right. You'll see them there. Right. And that's what they did. That's literally what they did. 
Here, they didn't do that. Literally, in the middle of episode two, the show stops bloody dead for them to ride through God knows where while Rosamund Pike gives this amazing, amazing oral tradition storytelling of, like, the history of the two rivers. I read somewhere that she did an audiobook recording of Eye of the World, and I might have to get that because her she just has like a great storytelling voice. And 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 the show just trusts her to hold our attention. They don't give any kind of graphics, they don't do CGI, they don't do anything fancy, they just let her tell the story. And nothing happens except her telling the story, and it's amazing. And I was like, I need my fantasy show. That was actually the moment that the show genuinely and totally 100% sold me. I was like, this show is respecting my intelligence. It's it's respecting its audience and it's respecting its actors to be able to hold our interest. And I, every fantasy show should trust us. Well, that's true. Um... I do question the wisdom of this being like an eight episode first season. That feels very truncated to me. Oh, yeah. You know, um, okay. I don't know. I mean, I know there's like all manner. I I read somewhere that this was like r- redonkulously expensive, this show. Uh, about $10 million per episode is what I read. So I, I can see like they're like, well, we're going to save $20 million and have eight episodes instead of 10. Well, listen, they've spent they're they're on track to spend a billion on the first two seasons of Lord of the Rings. Um, Jeff Bezos built a spaceship. He's fine. <laughs> and that brings me to actually my biggest problem with the Wheel of Time, and that it is on <laughs> Amazon. Listen, if this show were landing on Netflix with the first couple of episodes, or even all eight, this would be we, we would we we would be this would be the entertainment conversation. Of I know the- I love I I love Amazon for many things, not the least of which is bringing my Christmas presents when I need them, but. I, and I do actually think they have a really great library of original content. Like several shows I really enjoy are Amazon originals, but I don't Would know you who even is know in it? their. I don't. I don't know what their marketing department is thinking because it's just not doing it for me. There is no marketing department, as far as I can tell. As far as I can tell, the marketing department is like, yeah, we got Amazon Studios. It loses money for us every year, but that's okay because we make it all back with the Amazon with the AWS. Like that's really like Amazon Web Services. Like honestly, like I really enjoy genuinely feel like it's like yeah we got this movie room off the flea market just just go over there and check what check out there's some stuff right like it drives me psycho like because if this were on netflix if this were on hbo if this were on heck if this were on like peacock um (laughs) i don't think that's a great comparison because i can't tell you anything that's on peacock true okay right fine um actually that's not true i can tell you that girls five ever is on peacock because one of my other editors told me that i would love that show and i can't figure out how to watch it so sorry girls five ever oh actually you know no you're right you know if this were on disney plus this would be the hit of christmas and I, the bar is just so much higher for anything on Amazon to break through the conversation in a way that, say, it's not for Hawkeye or 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 The Witcher season two or The Witcher season one even or Bridgerton or Shadow and Bone or any of those things, right? Like it, it's just it's just so much harder for shows on Amazon to break through because they just don't market them in the same way and they just don't get and it's ridiculous because you know Amazon has the second most highest users of anybody other than Netflix because they count all their Prime members and they count all their Fire Stick users and it's still like they're still mired in the third tier. It's really something. 
So yeah, like I, I would love every single human being to go out and watch this on Amazon and find it and like do their part because God knows Amazon ain't doing it for you. <laughs> but on the plus side, Amazon has a ton of money, so they've already renewed this series for a second season. And in fact, they're se- and in fact they are uh, filming season two right now. Apparently, um, uh, I absolutely do. You know that they're actually filming some of this in Dubrovnik, the same place that is Westeros. <laughs> No, but that's hilarious. I, I thought that was that. a scream. Um, they, but yeah, they. The thing is, is that this show is so beautiful. Like, I, that was the other thing I really loved about this is you can see how much money they spent, not just in like, you know, filming, not just in like filming on location, but in building the world. Like, I, the Two Rivers looks amazing the same way that, like, I don't know, the Shire looks amazing. And I know mm-hmm. that, like, I'm of course it looks amazing, but the Shire looks amazing because Two Rivers is supposed to be the Shire. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're going to rip something off, rip off the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Wheel of Time is releasing episodes weekly on Amazon or Amazon Prime Video as they seem to insist on trying to make happen. Um, yeah, I like it. And I will, ju- I will just say that, like, Annie's really about it because she loves these books and stuff but i haven't read the books and i enjoyed it so i'm excited to see how the first season wrapped up and what the second looks like and more ladies doing magic stuff um season two will introduce uh elaine trackend who is yes more ladies doing magic who you will love in fact she's kind of the sansa oh no (laughs) (laughs) and now i'm and now i'm invested um anyway that is uh I think that is our show on this for this week. So unless you have any final thoughts, do you have final thoughts or do you just no. want to tell the people where you are on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Annie Bundle on Twitter. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. Uh, you can find pictures of my extremely fuzzy and badly behaved cats uh, at Annie Bundle on Instagram. Uh, see, I'm a staff writer at Leap Daily, uh, associate editor here at Televisions. Um, I also freelance around the web. I've been reviewing uh, Wheel of Time, obviously, and writing about Wheel of Time. I've also been, you know, recapping Baptiste and Grant Chester, which just finished their runs. Um, so check out those recaps as well. And I'm recapping the Great British Bake Off. Um, sorry, guys. Um, I'm not I'm, well. It, it we'll we'll talk about that on that episode. We'll hold hands and we'll talk. Well, we won't hold hands because we're far away from each other. But you know what I mean. Um, we, we'll all get through this together. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, just basically follow me on Twitter and like because that's where I retweet all my balance anyway. Okay, so thanks. Bye. I am uh, very mad about the Bake Off, and we'll rant about that at a later date. But uh, if you want a little preview of that, you can <laughs> come and visit me on Twitter. I'm at LaceyMB, that is L-A-C-Y-M-B. And I write a lot here at Televisions and around the entertainment web, but I always tweet my bylines. So come be my friend, check it out, yell about stuff with me, etc., etc. The site and the pod are on social media at Tele underscore Visions on Twitter and Televisions blog, all one word, on Facebook. We are a product of WETA, and if you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org and click on the donate button up top to help us keep doing it, support public media, and get access to PBS Passport, where you can watch a lot of things that are not the Wheel of Time. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I do have this stuff just to make myself laugh. Um, That's our show for this week. Thank you for tuning in. 
as we approach another weird holiday season in another weird year, uh, happy Thanksgiving from our family to yours. There is still a lot to be thankful for, even though it doesn't always feel that way. And uh, have some extra stuffing from me. Well, for me, not from me. I'm not mailing you all stuffing. But I like stuffing, so everyone should eat it. Um, Yeah, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening.